Amen. <coughs> so uh, we do need to just refresh our memories of the scriptures that uh, we're looking at uh, this morning. You'll know that we're working our way through um, the Acts of the Apostles. And someone has pointed out, well, we haven't got very far yet, have we? Well, that's true. But what we've had to do is uh, to look at the fact that the first few verses of uh, Acts chapter 1 are encouraging us to recognize and to know the key doctrines that we need to be aware of in the Christian life, in the ministry of the church, in our ministries, in whatever field it is that the Lord would lead us and guide us to be in and to be used in. And the last of these that we're looking at in this first section, which is verse 9 through to verse 11, uh, talks of the fact that the Lord Jesus is returning. So please, let's just read these verses. Acts 1 verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus who was taken down from you, sorry, taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And then please turn over to uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 and we'll just read those verses again that we looked at last week. And we know that in Romans chapter 8, there's a lot of groaning going on. We recognize that uh, some of us have got lots of reasons that we want to groan and get uptight about. And I pray that we'll understand and see the difference perhaps to how we are feeling and to what is being spoken of here. Because verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Let's look at the comparison and the link between the children of God, between creation around us. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. When we ourselves groan, the first fruits of the Spirit, when we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we shall pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with the groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Amen. We thank the Lord for his word, recognizing that it is uh, so very, very powerful for us. I just want to say that uh, for our young people, if you're doing the, um, the word search, the answers are here. Okay, so uh, the first three people that come up will be given an IOU on this occasion due to the fact that I haven't got the prizes with me. But if you're able to come up, so the first three that has all 13 words, you need to listen carefully. And if you haven't got one, there might be some of the sheets left at the back there. Okay, and if you've already finished it, there's no extra marks for, for smart people like that. Okay, but because uh, you're meant to be listening to the message as, uh, as we go through this. I'm also going to make it slightly harder but by not directly referring to any of the words, but there is one word that's going to be in a section from the Washington Post, which is a quotation, and it's a slightly harder word, so uh, uh, a bonus point if you can get that one. So last week, uh, we turned uh, to the last of the core beliefs that are so important for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we've spoken, of course, about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we recognize that without the, without the resurrection, uh, there is no power. There's no, there's no power in our lives because uh, we'd be speechless. We'd have nothing to say. We wouldn't bother meeting because there would be nothing to talk about. But God raised Jesus from the grave. And it's in his resurrection that we have our power in our own lives through the power of of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, he is interceding for us in heaven now. We're not alone. You might feel alone sometimes. You might feel no one's interested in you. You might feel no one ever prays for you. You might feel that nobody's interested in the pressures and the concerns that I have to cope with. But I assure you, there is one who is. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is in heaven and he is interceding for us. We know this because he has made it very clear in his word, John 17, for example that he continues to work hard for us. And so we praise him for that. This morning, we just have repeated and read again Acts uh, 9, 1, 9 to 11. And we have continued to look at, uh, at Romans 8. This last week, of course, on Thursday was Ascension Day. Uh, did anybody do anything special for Ascension Day? Did anybody know it was Ascension Day? I know of at least one family that uh, took the day off and went off and did something else, so congratulations to them. But of course, the Thursday means that we've now got the 10 days to Pentecost, and Pentecost is 50 days after Easter. So there is this calendar which is continually ticking over, and uh, if we watch it carefully, we can begin to sort of see and to feel how all these things work out. So Thursday was Ascension Day, and 10 days later is the coming of the Holy Spirit, which brings us to next Sunday. And that's when we're going to turn into chapter 2, God willing, and we're going to look at the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's something that we've been waiting for. But we needed to get our feet firmly founded on the uh, foundation principles before we're able to do that. 
So just to refresh our um, uh, minds, verse 11 says, This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now that statement itself enables us to understand that what we have seen in the ascension enables us to look at what we will see in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that helps us to understand that when people come to us, as happened to me a while back, and uh, I was waiting for a connecting flight in Dubai many years ago, and this chap from South Korea comes and sits beside me and tells me that uh, Jesus is uh, coming back and he's, going, he's coming to Seoul in Korea. And, uh, and he told me all about these things. It was very interesting. And I'm just grateful that the flight was called and I was able to get up and to go. But we were able to share the gospel with him. I've got a couple more accounts, actually, um, of some of these things. Because we need to be careful about what people say to us. There are things banded around which we need to be careful about. People are in the frame of mind today to say many things. And what is it that we come back to? Well, of course, we have God's word. Sometimes people say to me, Joe, I never expected that to happen. And I'm scratching my head thinking, well, do you not read your Bible? You know, have you not understood what God is doing in the world, uh, doing in your life personally? Um, how often do you read the scriptures? And then you discover that people will say all sorts of things because they have just never taken time, though God has graciously given us his word, to be able to live our lives um, for him, to know his will and to recognize what he has for us. So the scene that we have in Acts 1 is really very simple. As the disciples and the believers are stood around watching the Lord Jesus returning into heaven, they see him being taken up into heaven or into glory. Jesus is returning home. Now that wasn't and shouldn't have been a surprise for them. It wasn't perhaps what they wanted to happen. But Jesus had said on many occasions that he would be returning to his father. And our Lord had told the disciples they should have known that this was what was going to happen. And now, as they're staring up and they're watching Jesus ascending into heaven, uh, it's as a cloud. And in my mind, I see it's almost as though God reaches down to take his son and cradles him and puts that protection in the cloud as he is taken up. God reaches down, takes him up to be with himself in heaven. And then these two angels appear. They look like men. They're dressed in white. Uh, they're what we perhaps expect angels to see. Isn't it fascinating that when you hear of Muslims that have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that almost without exception, they talk about a man in white who appears and speaks personally to them. And I've come across this uh, personally with somebody. And, uh, and I'm absolutely fascinated that there is a, uh, a similarity that takes place and, uh, and we're seeing Muslim people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as has never been seen, I think, before, uh, with many people that have come from an immigration perspective into Europe. There are churches in Britain and in the Netherlands, um, Baptist churches in the Netherlands particularly, where people uh, from Muslim backgrounds are suddenly just coming in uh, and they talk of this experience that they have had and they're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they rejoice in that, knowing that their families will reject them. Probably. Quite lightly. Most certainly. Knowing that it's going to be very hard for them. But they still come. 
and they're still prepared to make that stand. And so we see uh, some of these things that are taking place. So they're dressed in white and they're able to speak to those standing around looking up into the sky. Okay, And as they talk, they very gently rebuke the disciples and the believers for what they're doing. And, and we get these words, men of Galilee, why do you stand staring up into heaven? You see, there's work to be done. There's just 10 days from Thursday to Pentecost. 10 days now before the promise of the Holy Spirit would be poured out on them. Time is short. There's a sense of urgency in what is being said. And that sense of urgency is increasing today in our lives, in our churches. And the two messengers, because that is what angels are, they give the believers assurance. And it's that that is so important for us. They give the believers assurance that Jesus Christ would come again and they would also explain the manner in which he would come, which will be descending from the heavens just as he had been taken up into heaven. And last week we quoted the verses from Matthew's Gospel 24, verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth would mourn And they would see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And as I've said a moment ago, uh, many people, many cults will come along And say, he's back, he's here. And over the years, a number of people, a number of cults have tried to work out when the Lord Jesus would be returning. Um, Some have even said that Christ has returned. Sergei Torop, an ex-traffic policeman in Siberia, in Russia, claimed that he was the returned Christ. And thousands of people have followed him in the church that he founded, which was called the Church of the Last Testament. At the moment, Sergei is serving a prison sentence for fraud because he's defrauded people for their money and their life savings. Listen to this article from the Washington Post. Uh, Yes, it's from 2014, so it's a little old, but uh, something came up quite recently about it again. Uh, Just listen. It was at the back of the restaurant, beyond the fry stand, the grease-slicked counter, the droves of gawking patrons where the murder happened. The restaurant was at McDonald's. Now, I've always questioned whether you call a McDonald's a restaurant. It's sort of a bit of a challenge as to whether that's the right word to use there, but we'll go with it. It was a Wednesday evening. The murderers who bludgeoned the woman to death with chairs and a mop belonged to a cult described as China's most radical, called the Church of the Almighty God. It claims to have over a million followers. It aggressively promotes doomsday scenarios, wants to destroy the Chinese Communist Party, and believes that Jesus Christ has returned as a Chinese woman. But it was at McDonald's murder that has consumed the Chinese court's attention over the last few months. 
Days ago, two church members were convicted and sentenced to death for the killing that even by the standards of the Church of the Almighty God was peculiar and brutal. According to prosecutors, five members tried to recruit, recruit a woman uh, patronizing the McDonald's in question, asked for her phone number and beat her to death when she refused to give it to them. This is why the scriptures are very clear that there are certain things that happen and they happen in a certain way that the Lord will be returning. This is why we need to read the scriptures. This is why we need to come before the Lord and to seek his guidance, perhaps when we are struggling to understand something. We've got to make sure that we test the spirits, that we aren't caught out by false teachers, by false prophets, by false Christs, that the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world and the Antichrist is coming. We see him in many respects, but we see that there will be a false gospel, there will be a false Christ, a false savior, there will be a false church. Be careful about the church. We need to come back to God's word to be discerning of all of these things. And when people come along and talk to us, we need to be careful as to what we are being told. Because remember, if somebody says, I had a vision the other night, and they talk to you, the test is, does it match up with God's word? Because if it doesn't, it didn't come from God. Simple as that. So that's the litmus test that uh, we have. And when we're considering the time that we're in waiting for the Lord's return in relation to the groanings that we spoke of last week and that we've reminded ourselves again of uh, here in, uh, in Romans 8. When the Christian looks around the world, it's very, very easy for us to become somewhat discouraged, maybe disappointed, because we live in a world of pain. We're living in a groaning world. The scriptures tell us that, but we just simply look around us. We listen and we hear it groaning. We listen to ourselves. And there are times when we're groaning because of what's going on. And we're saying, Lord, please. Please. And last week we looked at the fact that creation is groaning. Now I must say, whoever put these, these beautiful flowers here, they're very, very lovely. And the lilac at the bottom, not sure what the white one's called, but the lilac. I, don't you look at creation and you think to yourself, the detail, the fragrances, and the, and the sheer beauty, and the variety. And you know, evolution doesn't tell us where the plants came from. <laughs> In fact, uh, it doesn't talk about it at all. And Charles Darwin, on his deathbed, he just said, I've, I, you know, I can understand that we came from monkeys. Well, that's what he thought. But where did all the plants come from? And their huge variety, unnecessarily large variety of them. Where did they all come from? The fossil record doesn't hold anything for them either. But God puts them there to remind us gently, graciously, and he just says, look, this is my creation. But it's groaning. 
It's groaning under the weight of sin. And creation wants the return of the Saviour. We listen to the news. The world is groaning. We read the papers and we see that the world is groaning. Not just from physical events, but these do include tornadoes and typhoons and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, heat waves. Rohit, what's going on in India at the moment? Has it cooled down somewhat? There was a tremendous heat wave that was causing people many problems there. Did you see the pictures from outer space of the underwater volcanic eruption near Tonga back in January? If you haven't, have a look at it and you think to yourself, wow. And then there's plagues. Do you need me to talk to you about plagues? COVID-19 continues to cause problems and friends, there's going to be many more problems to come. Economies are teetering on the edge of absolute bankruptcy because of many problems, including what is going on in China at the moment and elsewhere. And then there's the wickedness of man and women. Each one of us at one time or another has said, oh Lord, how long do we have to go through this? And it's easy to get frustrated into today's world. But here's the thing. As Christians, we are not disappointed. We are not in despair. Let me say that again. We're not in despair. Let's see your faces lifting up because we have a God who is in control. We're not frustrated, actually. And we're not going to give up because we understand what is going on in this world because God has graciously explained it to us if we will but turn to his word. Yes, Roman 8 talks a lot about groaning. And when we understand the groanings recorded here, it will help us to understand what's going on in this world. Verses 18 to 20 of Romans 8, creation is groaning. We looked at that last week. Verses 23 to 25, believers are groaning. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And then verses 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit is groaning. And we're going to look at that, um, God willing, in just a few moments. Everyone's groaning. So this morning I want us to consider the remaining uh, two areas that we're looking at. The believer is groaning, the Holy Spirit is groaning, all for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why is the Christian groaning? Or why should the Christian be groaning? Well it's not because our bodies hurt. I've been doing some extreme gardening recently and my body hurts. Um, my colleague... Um, Adrian very kindly got his pocket knife out to remove a splinter in the end of my thumb. And I can feel relief from that tiny little splinter that went in. Uh, maybe a calling as a surgeon, Adrian, I don't know. <laughs> it's not because our bodies hurt. It is not because we have uh, got involved in running a marathon or climbing a mountain. Or Has anyone been to the gym and you come out afterwards thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Or the next morning you wish that. No, according to Romans 8, the Christian is groaning for glory. Does your heart ever cry out with creation and say, even so, come Lord Jesus? Mine does. And here's the amazing thing. of All, all of creation is eagerly anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is again what we're told in Romans 8. All of creation is eagerly anticipating the glorious liberty of the children of God. But are God's people eagerly anticipating it? There's a lot we can learn from creation. In fact, we are so caught up in the materialism and the affluence of the society in which we live, of the good things that we have in our lives, in our homes, and in our families, that we don't think about Jesus coming again. All of creation eagerly anticipates glory. The glorious liberty of the children of God and the travail of creation will one day give birth to glory when Jesus returns. In other words, this present bondage that we are in is not permanent, even though we can sometimes get the feeling that this is it. Today as Christians, we endure all these things that are part of creation. We don't enjoy them. We groan within our hearts, not because we're in pain or because the world itself is suffering. That gives us a burden. But we groan because we want Jesus to come back. We groan because we cannot wait for the Lord's return. Romans 8, 23, 25. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You see, in verse 22, Paul made the statement that we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. In other words, creation is not the only thing that's groaning. That should be our position too. We likewise should be groaning for the return of the Lord Jesus. We know that creation is groaning, but are we groaning? Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption that is the redemption of our body For we are saved by hope. Let me read that again. For we are saved by this hope. Or for in this hope we were saved. How are we saved? By hope? No. How are we saved? By faith. We are saved by faith. We aren't saved by hope. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. There is no other way. But when you are saved, you are given this blessed hope. The hope of the glory of God. Now notice Romans 5, chapter uh, 5 rather, verses 1 and 2. We mentioned them last week as well. Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there's now no more condemnation. You see, a condemned man or woman has no hope. 
the sentence has been passed. And once that sentence has been passed, you're dead. As good as. You may still be able to walk and breathe and watch TV and whatever else it is that a condemned person does in the condemned cell while they're waiting for the execution. While they're waiting for the sentence to be carried out. But in all sense and purposes, you're dead. And we use the example when you see on those uh, documentaries in the, in, in the U.S. particularly, and the guard says, dead man walking. How can a dead man walk? Because he's condemned. Dead man walking. You see, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when you trust Christ as your Savior, then you're able to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we're saved by this hope. In this hope, we were saved. What hope? The hope of the redemption of our body. Now, what is your response to creation's plight today? Do you have any response to it? Or do you simply withdraw and get bitter and say, well, the world in which we live in is an absolute mess. I just want to run away and hide. I just live my own life and let the rest of the world go by. And that's how many Christians view it. They just don't care. Or, are you out trying to patch up the world? Nowhere in the New Testament are we instructed to go out and try and patch up the world. Oh, we're God's agents in creation. Don't misunderstand me. We're given dominion and we should use every tool that God gives to us to make this world a better place. We should help people. We should encourage them. We should show concern. But that is not our major job. Now, are we groaning as we respond to creation's plight? Now, this is important because if we are, it shows you're saved. It shows that you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christian people don't consider this world their home. They don't consider this world to be their heaven, even though it is as beautiful as it is. And we spoke about this last week, and it's a hard thing to say, but I say it again this week because it's important. You see, there are some people here this morning that the only heaven you will ever know, unless you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is what you see now. Is what you recognize now. That's it. You see, our citizenship is in heaven. Our home is in heaven. Our Father is in heaven. Our Savior is in heaven. Our treasure is in heaven. We are looking for the things that are to come. We're not living for the things that are going to pass away. We have this hope now. Do you realize that unsaved people are also groaning? It's not just believers who are looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not get the idea that Christians are the only ones who groan. Unsaved people groan. They groan because of their sin. They groan because of the results of their sin. 
And one day, they shall be ushered into eternal groaning. An eternal place of separation from Jesus. From the light and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine all day, every day, all you can do is groan. And regret the fact that you never responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know people don't like to hear that. They say, don't talk to me about hell. What right do you have to talk to me about hell? Did you know that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven when he was here? You and I as Christians are groaning within ourselves because we're groaning for glory. We aren't groaning because our bodies are hurting. Anybody can do that. We aren't groaning because this world is a place of turmoil and vanity and strife. Anybody can groan for those reasons. But according to Romans 8, we are groaning for glory. We're groaning because we want the Lord Jesus Christ to return. Now Paul makes it very clear here that the reason we are groaning is because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And if you were with us over the last... Uh, few weeks, uh, a few weeks ago, you'll remember that we looked at um, Leviticus chapter 23 in the Old Testament, and we considered the Jewish nation and the seven very special feasts uh, that they had each year. Now, on the day after the Sabbath day that followed Passover, they had the Feast of first fruits, And so on the Sunday following Passover, they would go into the field, that's the the first day of the week, they would go into the field and they would cut down some of the barley and they would bring a sheaf. And it was waved before the Lord, saying to the Lord, the whole harvest belongs to you. Now, this is a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 and 21, Paul calls Jesus the first fruits. He is the first fruits. In other words, when Jesus arose from the dead, that was the first fruits. The whole harvest is going to come now. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit of God is the barley sheaf, if you like. When the barley sheaf was waved before the Lord, it was as though the priest was saying, Dear Lord, the whole harvest belongs to you. And when Jesus arose from the dead, he was saying to us, I'm going to reap the harvest. All of you shall one day be raised in glory. Now the Holy Spirit within us is the first fruits of the glory that's going to come. The Lord Jesus Christ is now in heaven. He's preparing a home for us. The Holy Spirit of God lives within the believer. Romans 8 verse 9. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The witness of the Holy Spirit within assures us that we are a child of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8 verse 16. Now Paul tells us here in Romans 8 23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the beginning of heaven. The Holy Spirit of God gives to us those first fruits of glory. We taste of the glory of heaven. 
as we read the word of God. We taste the glory of heaven. As we fellowship with God's people, as we come to church, as we rejoice on Sundays and whenever else we want to meet, we taste the glory of heaven. As the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer and worship, we have the joy of heaven in our hearts today because of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. And it's this that makes us groan. What are we groaning for? We're waiting, according to the scriptures here, we're waiting for the adoption. That is the redemption of our body. We are saved in this hope. What is our hope? That one day Jesus shall come again and the redemption shall be completed. You see, God has not fully revealed yet what he is doing in us and for us. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 verse 18 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Not to us, notice, but in us. And this is why we read in verse 21 that all creation is waiting for the glorious liberty of the children of God. And this is why in verse 23 he says we're all waiting for the adoption. That is the redemption of the body. What is our hope? That one day God will complete his redemption. Today, if you're a believer, if you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your soul has been saved. Our sins have been forgiven. But we still live in a wicked world. We still live in a body of corruption. Even though the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, that law of sin and death is at work in this world. And our bodies decay. Our bodies get weak. Our bodies die Oh yes, we go home to be with the Lord. But you see, God made us in his image. God made us to share his glory. I hope with all my heart that you know and love the Lord Jesus. I hope that it's clear to you as you look around and you see the creation that there's that groaning inside because you want the Lord to return. You're waiting for him to come. And I pray that that will give to you a desire to go into the world and to preach the gospel and to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ.